0: We begin with breaking news about the coronavirus. Here in the U.S., at least 33 states and the District of Columbia have confirmed over 500 cases and more than 20 deaths. The fast-moving developments in the coronavirus outbreak.
1: virus continues its march across the country. Take a look. The first confirmed case in Washington state, January 20th. Tonight, there are confirmed cases in at least 33 states and Washington, D.C. Italy's government has overnight announced a massive shutdown across the country as it struggles to cope with coronavirus. All cinemas, theatres and museums have closed. Around 16 million people across the north and east of the country are now in quarantine as part of the stringent new measures being introduced to tackle the spread of the
0: virus known as COVID-19. Italy, one of the hardest hit, has placed millions on lockdown. One of the nation's top outbreak experts says something similar could happen here. Hey everybody, welcome to Thanks Be to Pod. My name is Nate Dav. Today on the show, we're talking coronavirus and the potential impact that it's going to have on religious communities. Uh, but before we get to that, just a quick Quick note. Colby is not with us this week. As some of you know, Colby lives in Nashville, Tennessee. And Nashville, some of you may have seen this in the news, had a tornado last week, which wreaked devastation on a large portion of that community. Colby is totally fine. His house is fine, but he has been working uh, with the recovery effort to get Nashville back up to speed. Uh, some of you know that Col- Colby is a coffee shop manager. And, you know, he texted me this morning and said today he's trying to solve where he can get food for the coffee house since the distributors were affected uh, by the tornado. So there is a lot going on in Nashville right now. Your thoughts and your prayers are very much appreciated. And just know that Colby will be back uh, in the the next episode. Uh, But for right now, he's focused on, on getting his community back up to steam. So today we're talking coronavirus something that's been in the news and something that's probably on your mind. Over the past couple of weeks, as the potential impact of the virus has increased, I, along with probably a lot of other people, have found myself wondering what the role of the minister and the church is in all of this. Of course, we know that churches are going to be affected. I mean, any type of large communal gatherings are going to be affected by the coronavirus. But I'm wondering, do pastors have any unique responsibilities in the midst of a pandemic? And for me, this question was spurred on by a made on an episode of another podcast called On the Media by a person named Lori Garrett, who is a former senior fellow for Global Health at the Council on Foreign Relations and the author of the book The Coming Plague, Newly Emerging Diseases in the World Out of Balance. And on in that episode Uh, Lori Garrett said something that really stuck with me. She said, uh, People used to be able to look to profound religious leaders and smart political leaders who set a sense of governance to be reliable sources of information. And today, she said, We don't have either of those things. And as a young person who is still a part of a spiritual community, who is a spiritual practitioner, that frustration hits home. And, and you know, it is the case that there are televangelists right now peddling fake things to their listeners and to their audiences. and, And as the cure for the coronavirus. Uh, While that's happening, I'm hoping that, um, you know, there will be some of us who stand above the fray and become those profound religious leaders who speak the truth. That, I think, is what we need from pastors in the midst of this to stand up and to tell the truth. Uh, But that's actually easier said than done, and that's a ridiculous comment to make, but we all know post-2016, the over-politicization of almost everything has made it nearly impossible to make a statement of fact without being accused of partisan politics. And information about the coronavirus has totally proven susceptible to this. on the political flavor of your news source, you either expect that the virus will be an outbreak that threatens the lives of millions of Americans or that it's just a hoax, a joke perpetrated by Democrats to bring down the president. They tried the impeachment hoax. That was on a perfect conversation. They tried anything. They tried it over and over. They've been doing it since you got in. It's all turning. They lost. It's all turning. Think of it. Think of it. And this is their new hoax. At the onset of this outbreak, we need pastors to stand above the fray, to be reliable sources of information. And this starts by telling congregations, by telling people... Uh, that The coronavirus is simply not a hoax. I mean, the Center for Disease Control has made plain their outlook on the disease. It is not if, but when, said the CDC when they were asked about the spread of the disease in the United States. Public health officials across the board agree that the potential for portions of the American population to be infected, even large portions to be infected, are high. And this means that normal life may be disrupted. I mean, along with schools and businesses that reduce operations, even churches might have to alter their practices. There is a lot of unknowns, but this is no joke. And pastors, I think, are right to raise concerns and to prepare their congregations. And today on the podcast, I'm talking with a pastor who is doing that. Matthew David Morris is a transitional deacon in the Episcopal Church located in Portland, Oregon, which in case you weren't keeping track is near Washington State, which is where the majority of the coronavirus uh, cases have been reported in the United States. And I'll let Matthew tell a little bit more about himself, but just a note before we get things started. Matthew and I recorded this conversation on Thursday, March 5th, and a lot has changed since then. Just for reference, I'm recording this right now on March the 9th. At the time we recorded this conversation, the CDC was reporting 100 confirmed cases in the United States. That data has now dramatically changed. And to be quite frank, although Matthew and I talk about the CDC in this episode as a source of information, and we encourage people to go to the CDC, uh, the Center for Disease Control, to stay up to date with with the virus. In recent days, the CDC has stalled in their updates they've been lagging behind other resources so now i think before we even get started with the before we even get started with the episode a helpful resource as you're listening to this and you're looking for more information is the john hopkins coronavirus resource center you can just google that and it will take you to the most up to date information about the coronavirus and its current impact both globally and in in the states and right now john hopkins is reporting over 600 cases of the coronavirus in the united states i mean just this morning it was like 550 so the, the numbers are, are going up uh, pretty quickly but you know here's the deal uh, things are changing rapidly some of this the info in this episode may be dated by the time you listen to it uh, but it remains the case that communities of faith are wrestling with COVID 19. And Matthew and I had a rich conversation about pastoral ministry, theology, church, and the role of the pastor in a potential pandemic. And so without further ado, here's my conversation with Matthew David Morris. Uh, My name is Matthew David Morris,
1: and um, I am a transitional deacon in the Episcopal Church, which means I am a um, deacon who will soon be ordained God willing and the people consenting a priest um, in May 2020. So depending on when your listeners are are hearing this, that's when I will become a priest. I am um, someone who has been an Episcopalian for most his whole life um, with a few periods of um, exploration in different areas. And uh, I currently serve as the deacon at St. Michael and All Angels Episcopal Church
0: in Portland, Oregon. So, I'm wondering if you can help me uh, catch people up on what is happening, the speed at which this is developing, uh, and what is it like to be just a person, a human being, uh, on in, in on the West Coast right now?
1: Yeah, for, for the sake of all your listeners, they should all know, you should all know, um, I'm not a medical professional. So, in some ways, I'm finding out what's happening the same way that they are the same way that you are right. um and to the yeah. degree that i'm paying attention which is kind of like i'm, I'm kind of checking mm-hmm. it all day um sort of that's right. that's where i'm up to speed i had twitter open when um when we started this conversation and showed the numbers and i'm kind of checking mm-hmm. on those numbers the cdc has been really great about putting up um sort of consistent figures and they're having press conferences regularly the world health organization is having mm-hmm. those press conferences so so all i'm right. kind of paying attention to that um but as a as a minister in a in a church um, I kind of have a particular interest in in learning more about what this is and in learning abo- more about how it um, how covid nineteen how the coronavirus um, uh, is transmitted how it um, spreads um, mainly because i I know that everybody on Sunday is going to come mm-hmm. to the church a little bit concerned and that was really our first um, yeah that was our first experience uh, at church um, after it was um, announced that someone in uh the portland area in lake oswego which is just a a suburb just south of portland um had contracted the virus so it it hit close to home um the 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 city ran out of all uh containers of purell there was no more hand sanitizer to be found anywhere um and, and other things runs on things that you wouldn't have necessarily expected i mean masks for sure um and then um alcohol which I thought was interesting. Rubbing alcohol, because you can make your own hand sanitizer mm-hmm. with like two, th- right, two right, thirds right. aloe vera to to one third alcohol. So that was gone pretty quick. Um, mm. And so the first thing that that we experienced at St. Michael's was, um, I mean, when we were having conversation among the the staff and the clergy was, okay, well, how do we how do we proceed in a way that. Um, in a way that feels like it's responsible and in also a way that that kind of calms the anxiety because the anxiety is real i mean like
0: yeah that's what i was going to ask yeah Yeah. i mean
1: we've only known about this um since what the end of december so it's been just a little over eight weeks since since you and i are talking at this moment um and 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 i think people get anxious when they don't have information when they don't know what's going on Mm. they want to know things that actually we can't
0: know right yet you know right where do you think that that anxiety is stemming from? You're talking about lack of information, or are, are there other sources for that anxiety?
1: I think interestingly enough, a lot of Christians are really concerned about dying. They're kind of actually not just concerned; they're they're afraid of it. They're, um, mm. you know, like moments like this, we start to think about our our mortality, um, uh, or we right. start to deny that it's a concern. You know, I think there's a there's a th- that you, if sometimes we hear that response, and I've seen it on social, I've heard it a little bit. In person around the city, um, which is that like okay, this is this is being blown out of proportion. This is just being blown out of proportion, and I actually think that that right. response too is a response that kind of emerges out of the fear of it of it actually being mm-hmm. a problem. Like, what if it's a real problem? Yeah. Um, to walk that line to kind of be in, in the middle of extremes, either complete dismissal of this as as um, what what you of course we've seen in the media as a quote hoax or to be on the flip side of it where we are you know um converting our house into like a like a a prepper um extraordinary kind of domain like locking it, just mm-hmm. making it going extreme in that direction um we got to find a way in the middle um so i th- i think i don't know i think it's natural um when when illness kind of hits home um and paired with the the lack of information i mean people don't get this afraid of the flu you know Right, that's but, correct. But yeah. we have flu shots, and we have um, treatment. Right. So I think, I, think, I think what happened, at least my guess is, is that when people start to realize that this is like the flu, but there's no treatment currently, and there's no vaccine currently, and there's all this
0: ambiguity, it's like the perfect right. recipe for, right. for fear and anxiety. And what are you doing to calm some of that fear and anxiety, both for yourself and for your congregation?
1: Um, at, in classic sort of... um minister fashion, I'm not sure that I'm tending to my own fear and anxiety <laughs> as much <laughs> as you. I'm paying attention to the needs and concerns of others. Um, right. I think that for me personally, I find it helpful to be paying attention to what's happening. I find it helpful to learn right. more, even as that information shows that that this particular virus is spreading really fast, um, that it's kind of exponential, the exponential growth is kind of high. Um even though that, that could be a real trigger um, for fear, I find knowing that and having more information about that really useful. I also find mm-hmm. um, the information that's being put out by, uh, by officials, and not even just the CDC. Like, here's the thing. I'm an Episcopalian. And one of the mm-hmm. things about our tradition and our polity is that we have, we have these networks of relationship. Um, and these right. networks of relationship in, in my area are all connected to one diocese. Um, Lutherans have synods, Episcopalians have dioceses, Catholics have dioceses, right? So, um, I I have a bishop. Um, the clergy are all connected. Um, we're all accountable to the bishop, and the bishop, in some way, serves as this um, as both a pastor and also the one who can provide guidance in moments like these. Um, and not only does our bishop uh, provide that guidance to our diocese, but the sort of networks of bishops are all in conversation about this, so we we were uh, passed along some information from the Bishop of the Diocese of los angeles they 're also getting hit you know they're the one of the first ones mm-hmm. who had a, a collection of, of right. infections there, and so they provided some great information you know from from the sort of standard wash your hands regularly um, you know for a certain amount of time, twenty seconds under warm water to um some common sense, sense stuff about how to uh how to engage with people during a church service, you know? Cuz Cause, cause church is a place, right. you know, they're saying like be mindful of how you gather, you know, whether you gather and what you do when you gather in large groups. Well, I mean ain't that church? <laughs> right? Like mm-hmm. a, that is church, right? <laughs> it's a, it's yeah. a large gathering of a <laughs> lot of people who you know, who knows Mm -hmm. where they came from before, you know, um, you know, the, the sermon, the the sermon might be boring. And so someone might be kind of like casually picking their nose. Um, you know what I mean? Like people have kids, kids are just these little walking balls of, uh, contamination. (laughs) Um, so, uh, that's a place where, where I think, you know, transmission can actually really happen. So making decisions about that, I mean, we're getting that, that from, um, from our network of relationships. So I think those, that idea of there being sort of, um, I don't just want to say church because this actually this is not just a, a Christian thing. I mean, like communities of faith, communities of gathering, uh, communities of belonging. Right. Um, when when we come together, um, this is sort of a moment to figure out how we're going to be deliberate about engaging yes. with another. Does that make sense? Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in particular with your tradition, there is a lot of. I mean, you have you, the Eucharist and you have uh, the passing of the peace, which is t- which are two points in which people come in contact with one sure. another. Um, are you thinking about how you um, do those things in light of the? Oh
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things that came from from the various bishops. Um, the, the passing of the peace, if your listeners don't know, I mean, it's not that different than if when you, you walk into a congregation and, and you get greeted and someone gives you that warm, loving face, like they're recognizing the image of God yeah. in you and, and they shake your hand. Um, yeah. We just happen to do that all collectively at once in the middle of a service. Um, and Great. so uh, some some Episcopalians are a little um, uncomfortable about super uh, large expressions of um, of. of touching and, and shaking and hugging. And so there's just a couple polite handshakes around the pews near you. Right. And then others, you know, are walking around and everyone's getting a hug. Um, so that's a right. moment where transmission is really possible. One thing that mm-hmm. we're talking about is, uh, I mean, some people are doing like, um, you can bow, you can put your hands in front of your chest and bow reverently to the person. Um, just a kind of acknowledgement with your eye contact that you are, are sort of giving a blessing of peace to them and that that's sufficient. Um, as far as the Eucharist goes, because um, that happens pretty much every Sunday in Episcopal churches, um, we have uh, the common cup and we have shared bread. Mm-hmm. And so, in yeah. some ways, it really does fall on on the shoulders of the the ministers, uh, the ones who you know, the priest who is consecrating, who is handling the deacon who might be uh, you know pouring the wine, preparing the cups. Um, and also the the number of people who serve in our tradition we call them Eucharistic ministers. So the people who are given yes. a chalice yes. to, um, to share with the people. You know they have a responsibility of kind of cleaning um, the edge of that uh, of that metal chalice each time between uh, between people, which is actually proven to be when, when paired with the sort of wine we use, which is a kind of high alcohol content uh, port, um, is pretty good at at um, at killing things (laughs) i mean not not people Mm -hmm. i mean killing like viruses (laughs) (laughs) right 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 so um so the common cup actually is is um from from what uh, research has shown is actually um safer than another thing that's called intinction i'm not sure if you focused on that the idea where you take Mm -hmm. the host or you take the 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 wafer or the bread and you and you with your fingers imagine this everybody with your fingers Mm -hmm. dip it into the wine like not the best idea, you know, bits of, uh, bits of your, uh, the bread that's been handled by your fingers, um, the body of Christ that's been handled by your fingers uh, in the wine. So we're just all being really deliberate about that. And we've had to communicate to people um, sort of the safety of common cup. Um, we've shared some documents, even some that, that came from the CDC around uh, uh, there being no, uh, no signs of there being, or having been no research to show that um, infection is communicated through a common cup. Um, so, so we're just really mindful and deliberate about that but we're also we also have to be transparent with people about it because you can't just go mm. go along like um like you're going to make a change and then everyone's going to feel safe. Um, if right. you make changes or if you decide not to make changes, um you, you need to be be really transparent with people. There are some churches um who are not doing the the cup at all because in our in our, the, in our right. theology um one of the two elements is sufficient, you know. I mean you can't actually the body right. and the blood are not sort of apart from each other so you can you can take the bread and and just sort of uh, bow to the wine in reverence and you're good um so that's sort of how we've done it in in our church clarity and and uh, thoroughness you know on the on the part of those who are handling uh, the bread and the wine
0: yeah i mean there's this whole practical component to how to prepare your congregation with social distancing, with with not touching one another, with making sure that you're transparent about um, the possibility of infection through through um, through possibly communion, but there's also this other element, which is telling your tr- your congregation the truth about where the virus currently stands. Right, uh, just information. Um, And I mean, we're only a couple of weeks into this in terms of the cases, known cases becoming more and more of a thing, uh, especially out where you are. I'm wondering how you're communicating that to people in your congregation. Are they asking you to communicate that to them? Are you finding that pastors are serving as communicators to uh, folks who are in need of information? At the time of recording this conversation, we have only had
1: one uh, church service since the announcement of the case in Oregon. That's right. So, it's yeah. very fresh and new. Um so whether or not we're going to be um wh- whether the clergy and the staff are going to be considered sources of information about the, the virus um is sort of remains to be seen. I think it mm-hmm. it's an interesting moment actually because we w- unlike previous um sort of widespread um infections and and pandemics, I mean if this ends up becoming one. Um, we have access to information. We individually have access to information at lightning speed. Um, And so, and we don't necessarily, we have information at the same speed as the people who are are processing and evaluating the information um, because things show Mm -hmm. up on social things show up on Twitter. um, And uh, we don't have necessarily the benefit of, of the people who are experts at this um, having enough time, sufficient amount of time to consider. Um, We also, it seems like we're in a cultural moment where we don't, um, we don't pause we don't wait. Um, in some ways, the refresh, the swipe down and refresh, um, is, is sort of a uh, an example of how we, we don't we don't have time for people to figure this out. We want to know right now. So I don't know if that people are going right. to look to a deacon or a priest or a pastor to tell them things that they can find out um, on their phone. Mm. Um, and and, I, and I'm actually also not sure that people know whether to trust. Either of those things. Do you trust what you sure. see on your phone? Do you trust um, uh, how your pastor, or your priest, your deacon, your your whomever, and your in your community um, has themselves interpreted this information? I mean, I'm in a state, for example, Oregon, where there is a high number of people who um, who don't believe that the vaccines are are important, and I'm not right. in the only place in the country that's like that. And that's that's. That is an extension of people's core convictions and their beliefs and also mm. their interpretation of the, the media that they see um, on their devices. And they have formed these conclusions, um, which is their mm. right to do. People are, have a right to do that. But they have formed conclusions in such a way that um, their choices can can impact those in their community Um I mean, it's kind of like the worst case scenario when, when you have infections, when you have people who are like, I, "I just don't even know that I believe what the medical professionals are saying." Right. Like, this is not Correct. the moment yeah. for that, you know? Um, right. And so, I think I think what's really helpful, and it's challenging for 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 pastors who are in really highly politicized, um, or who, who are living in this highly politicized moment, and who may be in a congregation that itself. Um, has very highly politicized rhetoric, kind of. That's the common coffee hour talk, you know. Like it's political right. or it's or it's intense, or there's distrust that's present. To figure out how to cut through that with the truth, the truth is as it's right. being conveyed by those who who can do this analysis and who are trained and experts in in the medical field, for example.
0: Right. But that's why. Yeah, yeah. That's why in
1: the beginning, I think what we're doing at St. Michael's and what we're being what we're encouraging one another to do around Portland. Um, and across the our sort of a networks of relationship in the Episcopal Church is uh, to remain calm. Like, we come from the Church of England, right? So, we're kind of like a borrowing that, like, stay calm, you know, what is it? Keep calm, carry on. That's us right now. Like, keep calm, <laughs> y'all. Wash your hands.
0: Yeah.
1: Freak out. That's right, yeah. And be de- be deliberate. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, I think, by and large, that's that's the thing. If we can't communicate the information... Either because we're not experts in the medical field or because um, because people don't need us to do that, or, or maybe they're just trustful of, of everybody. The best thing we can do is encourage both, I think, peace and calm and kind of lean in to rationality. You know, that, that's right. That, that's what yeah. I that's at least how that's my instinct.
0: Well, I think that this makes a ton of sense, and I think you hit on two points that I think are important to note. We are dealing with something that is highly politicized, and there are, there is, there is an echo chamber of news mm-hmm. media that reinforces not only political ideologies, but any ideology, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, your news source can basically just tell you what you want mm-hmm. to hear. I do know a lot of us, a lot of us millennials especially, are looking at um, Twitter and constantly I mean, I'm looking at the CDC's mm-hmm. website, I'm going to the sources, I'm going to medical professionals, but a lot of folks just look at their favorite news yeah. source and that it may or may not um, contain accurate information. And I mean, w- with the way things are developing at this moment, mm-hmm. um, uh, more conservative pundits and um, are, are downplaying the virus. I mean, as of just this morning, you know, the president is ta- – or last night, the president is talking to um, – Sean Hannity, about how the virus, uh, he doesn't think that the death rate is as high as the CDC or the WHO oh, is my, saying. That really? Is. Uh, <coughs> yes. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, he, he said, I have a hunch it's not oh, as no. high as it. they Now's say Now's not is. the
1: time for hunches, y'all.
0: <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> but, I mean, that just goes to say to show that, you know, news media... Um, there is a great deal of skepticism towards the news media, but there's also just a great deal of trust that people place in their own mm-hmm. news sources. And I think what what the other thing you said was that pastors and priests um should be looking to health officials to get their own information. Mm-hmm. So do the research, do the research, do your homework. Go to the CDC's mm-hmm. website, to the WHO's website, and and educate yourself uh, before coming into contact with other humans who might look to you as a moral authority. I mean, that seems just like a basic thing to do. And then finally, I think, you know, you said that th- to keep calm is absolutely right, because this is not a uh, light and this is not going to wipe out the human species. It's not going to wipe out um, our planet. Um, but it is, you know, it's it, it requires having at least a uh, being on the same page that it is, in fact, spreading, that there is, in fact, a virus, that it, there it is not a hoax, but we can cut down uh, the spread of it by washing our hands and things mm-hmm. like this. And th- that's all things that pastors can communicate, mm-hmm. I think, pretty reasonably. I think so,
1: too. You know, there's, there's a real benefit to encouraging critical thinking. And, and, mm-hmm. and for yeah. some traditions, um, historically, critical thinking has been a part of the way they've engaged with faith, with scripture, with um, tradition, with the modern world, with, I don't know, postmodernism. They've engaged in criticality. Mm-hmm. And criticality is really key. I mean, to me, hunches, I mean, and I'm, I'm not to say that uh, it's not to say that intuitions or senses or the way we experience the world in our body does not provide us meaningful information. Um, but there's a time, right? There's a time for all things. And there's a time for hunches. And then there's a time for critical thinking. And I think that this is a time right. for critical thinking. Um, one piece that that I'm mindful of, and this is, I think, because it's come up a lot in uh, in the past... In the past season, before Lent started, um, when we were in Epiphany, a lot of the readings, both on Sundays and also um, I, I do the daily office, so a lot of the daily readings that show up in the lectionary, um, there was this like theme woven through all of them, which was um, which was trust. I mean, like, what does it mean to uh, you know for people who feel comfortable with this language? What does it mean to trust God? Um, you know, mm-hmm. we, we talk a lot about love God and love your neighbor. Um, and that, that feels like something that even, even in certain progressive circles, like that's something we can all get on board with, um, you know, right. love you, God, love your neighbor. And in some ways, I think if you, if you, if you love God, you got to trust God. Um, and to me, that's not, doesn't mean that, you know, trust God doesn't matter if I wash my hands. It means like, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm going to wash my hands and I trust God. Um, like there's a component mm-hmm. in this where we can turn to some of the language of our faith um uh, even even those who are outside of traditions um like christian traditions who would use that specific language um to remember right. that uh that this is a this is a piece of life you know a- including mm-hmm. the death that occurs like this is a piece of life and this is an opportunity um to come together and care for one another um and to be responsible stewards of of both the life and the space the episcopal church you know again b- b- having come from the church of england England, we're big on um, parishes. Like we have this idea of the parish, the parish church, which mm-hmm. is sort of in England, um, you know, the parishes are these regions that are actually, you know, they've got the bishop of a specific parish. They're very specific about it. Like they, they still use that terminology and, and, it's, and it's engaged. In the States, it's kind of, um, it's fallen by the wayside a little bit on account of the, the different influences of tradition. But a parish is just basically the neighborhood around a church, the area that your church right. is located in. And I think if pastors... Are, uh, would consider looking to state officials or um, uh, people in, in local government during a national disaster, for example. Um, you know, something happened and you would, you would turn to, to them for news about, is the water supply safe? Um, how are the roads going to be? Um, is, is FEMA going to show up? Like, what are the various things that are happening? A pastor might consider how to, that their church could become a place at the center of a neighborhood where people could have that information. You know, that's an extension mm-hmm. of what we do in a parish. That's what an extension of what we can do in a church. And I think the same thing applies here. Um, you know, this is not currently um, a natural disaster, but it's a natural phenomenon and we're in the middle of it. So, mm-hmm. so what's the responsible thing to do as one who is is sort of at the center of a parish, the center of a neighborhood, um, and, and wants to convey that information and, and, and kind of the best practices of how to stay healthy?
0: Um, I, th- I think there's a parallel there that's worth looking at. Yeah, and you've really woven this throughout almost every answer that you've hmm. given. Um, but I was going to ask uh, how you were drawing upon your theological tradition or theological resources from your, your, your seminary training or from um, hospital training hmm. uh, as you as you are approaching this. Um, do you want to add anything to that? Or? Sure. Um, I, I never uh, foamed my hands so many
1: times than when I was uh, doing my CPE training at the hospital here in Portland. Uh, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so much Purell foam. This is not a Purell advertisement, but I tell you, they put those things everywhere. You foam your hands before you go into a room. You foam your hands when you come out of a room. Um, and, and they have the same, um, the same idea there that it's, it's how you, you, you maintain your health uh, in the midst of all your practices. It's how you're vigilant about that um, that makes the difference. For the people who are ill, you know, I mean, it's easy for a healthy person, a person with uh with no sort of respiratory a history of respiratory infections, for example, um, to go like, oh, this is probably gonna be fine. But like, what about your grandma? You know, like, what about mm-hmm. what about the members of your parish? What about the you know, what if you are a part of a church who's got like a bunch of young, cool folk? Right. And he feels like, oh, this is it's amazing. All these people my age is great. Like, I, I feel like I'm in a, in a new, fresh space that's cool. I mean, maybe all of those people won't be as affected, but what about their grandparents, right? So, in the hospital, right. um, we came kind of into close contact with people whose, whose lives depended on us being responsible. And, and I think mm-hmm. that's such a valuable lesson. Um, if we thought about health um, in terms of, uh, in public health, in terms of other people's lives um, mm-hmm. sort of hinging on how responsible we are, Um, I mean, I think that's actually that's a that's a decent um, summation of the gospel. Like
0: other people's (laughs) lives
1: depend on how caring we are, depend on how responsible we are, depend depending on how willing we are not to think about ourselves but to think about their well being. Um, that drilled it home for me, um, in a very practical way at the hospital. And they provided us with those things. They provided us with the foaming hand uh, sanitizer. They provided us with the very clear lessons about what to do and what not to do in order to keep other people healthy. And that's, I think, what this is all about. You know, how do we keep other people healthy? How do we care for the other person? How do we set aside our own um, preoccupations, our own sense of uh, assuredness that things will be fine, uh, our own disbelief in order to make sure that we care for others? That to me is a, that's a guiding principle that can be a way in for any uh, pastor, priest, community leader to talk to their people about um about how to be
0: responsible because it's not just for them it's them acting for others, right, and I think that that's such a good point because you know as this is developing, oh gosh, I think you said at the at the beginning that it's you know there is some fear, like mm-hmm. gosh, people think about death during these moments, and even I thought wow this is this could really turn into something that's catastrophic for communities mm-hmm. um But I can't help but think, oh well, I'm 27 years Mm -hmm. old. Um, That's good that they say, you know, (laughs) that the information is telling us that. That's that's a positive Mm -hmm. for me. Um, But what I can't do is disregard other folks who I will come in contact Mm -hmm. with that um, could be infected by this. And 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 something that you mentioned to me um, as we talked uh, a a couple days ago was that. Right now, um, it, people may be asymptomatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as and as we are um, learning, as, as cases are developing out on the West Coast, that uh, the virus has been spreading and people are not showing symptoms um, mm-hmm. right away or at all. And um, we found that communities and people are, are coming into contact with one another and, and getting the virus through community spread, mm-hmm. perhaps because people don't know how they have mm-hmm. it.
1: Yeah. Talk about a pastoral moment, right? Talk about a teaching moment. To, to sort of share with your people that you want to avoid um, the sort of hubris of, of thinking that everything is fine and everything's ridiculous. What if the person saying that is themselves a carrier, <laughs> you know, like, mm, yeah. what if, um, if, it, if, it, if there, it can take two to 14 days for symptoms to show, think of how many people right. you come into contact, I mean, in two days, let alone two weeks, you know, how many people right. do you see in your office? How many people do you see um, on public transit? How many people are you connecting to in in restaurants? What if you're working at restaurants? How much food are you handling? You know, these are all, this is not to, to invoke panic. It's just to invoke a kind of critical eye toward this, that if it could take two weeks for you to know that you're carrying anything, then you better always be vigilant in case you are, Um that that's the tricky piece about viruses is they're invisible. You can't you you can't see, um, and and, and in this case you can't um, you can't feel for a period of time that that you may be carrying this. Uh, that's a, I think that's just a, a another way to uh, to kind of shed light on on the reality of this. Maybe people don't know that. Maybe people in your community are yeah. aren't aware of that because they have, they just tune out news. Right. I mean, heck, maybe maybe it's yeah. Lent and they're like, I just not got to pay attention to anything during Lent, which is <laughs> like this so great. I'm so glad your spiritual discipline is, is, you know, is uh, now mm-hmm. um, making you sort of unaware of all the things that are happening. I mean, maybe people mm-hmm. are turning away from it because this is actually such a hugely politicized, uh, not even just politicized, political right. moment, right? The primaries, the, the, the politics, the who's do what, like people are tuning out for their own – uh, mental health and well-being and they may show up at a at a gathering at a church gathering at a some sort of community faith gathering um, unaware of things you can't assume you know if you're checking up on things you can't assume that your community is um, it's a great opportunity announcements you know that's another another place to do it hey announcements we uh, want to remind right. you that uh, there's hand sanitizer in the in the pews or on the chairs or there's an opportunity before coming up to go over and wash your hands in the station we create you know what i mean like that um you provide that information to people at any moment you can
0: uh because yeah. because it could be
1: that that whole carrier thing is real
0: for some of us there's still we're still kind of in a period of self denial or denial um and yeah. that this can't be happening right <laughs> we can, this cannot be we we cannot have this happen to us not in the united states um and for you know for as it was happening in china and it was the it, and the outbreak was developing for me, as I was paying t- attention to it, just tangentially to the rest of the news, the, to the primary season, to everything that was going, that's that been going on in the United States, which is a mm-hmm. lot, um, in, in the back of my head, I'm like, wow, well, it, it'll get stopped, right? It'll stop. It won't find its way here. And I don't know, you know, the logic of that is absurd, but that's what I'm thinking of as a privileged American mm-hmm. person who uh, is, is sitting where I am and uh and then it was you know just last week where i really started to pay attention i think in a way that i had not and it was through a series of podcasts that i listened Mm -hmm. to uh one of them just the daily which i make a practice of listening to every day um from the new Mm -hmm. york times which is a great source of just like daily news but also uh, they bring on wonderful people um and and the health reporter that they brought on his name is donald mcneil and he made this statement i think that really made me stop and think wow i am i had not been giving this the gravity that it deserves Mm -hmm. and 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 it was, he said this, he said, I spend a lot of time thinking about whether I'm being too alarmist or whether I'm being not alarmist enough. And he said, this is alarmist, but I think right now it's justified. Mm. And so, what you've said is important that we're we not we, being calm and not raising hysteria and, and presenting the facts is super important. But do, in doing that, what you're also acknowledging is that this is an actual thing uh, that is developing. And we, sure, there are a lot of unknowns. We don't know the rate in which it will spread. We don't know how many people People will potentially impact be impacted by it. Um, But it is justified to actually acknowledge that this virus has taken hold, at least initially here in the States, and that it really could. I mean, health officials really are saying that um, really, really are saying that um, that that almost every community might be impacted by this in the coming months.
1: Yeah. You know. In terms of, of, of why people are in denial and and why why people don't think this could happen, I mean, I think some people are not in denial because they know how a right. health crisis that's can right. can negatively impact them, particularly communities that are that are neglected um, by uh, mm. the sort of uh, medical establishment generally. Um, there's a vigilance there that's not present among, say, a privileged white um, upper middle class that's Protestant right. folk, or even like middle class Protestant, like the white middle class right. Christian, um, or even the white christian in america in general um is there's all kinds of um biases that are that are working at all times um that that prop up this white identity and 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 one of them is well it's it's in china i mean the amount of like um anti-asian anti-chinese um racist rhetoric that's going to come up right now or that's just kind of behind the surface like you know but behind, behind people's um like just right underneath it, you can almost hear it. Well, you know, um, this, the way that Chinese, for example, can become used almost mm-hmm. like a slur. Like we have a history of that, um, and, and that history is right. actually not in the past. The history is always present. So, I think people will will see it happening. Oh, it's it's in it's in South Korea. It's in it's in China. It's in Iran. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in all mm-hmm. these places. Um, ignoring, of course, the fact that the, the where it's present in in predominantly white countries, because really, what that what that bias serves around, um, you know. Uh, Asia, um, North Africa, all those things, it, it, it bias serves this idea of uh, American superiority, and in some ways of white superiority. Right, like right. White supremacy is real. It yeah. shows up in these really insidious small ways. And that's, that's a way in yep. which it shows you that if, if that's what's keeping you or your, uh, your people from paying attention to their health, <laughs> their like, basic right. health, that's an example of how something like racial bias and white supremacy um kills um and again when you pair that with the idea that we are all interconnected in these cities in these towns and across the country like we are sharing the same air we we are all connected to this uh the, the the food supply um one person's choice in that one person's neglect does actually affect other people. So, I mean, I think mm-hmm. there's lots of opportunities to 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 hone in the focus on on the health, and also to to point to say, okay, well, um, what you said there actually uh, is is a kind of racial bias, and you know, opportunities mm-hmm. to to teach, opportunities to care and teach, yeah.
0: And even in our own country, um, people who are under resourced and underprivileged are going to. Experience, I would imagine. I mean, this is just healthcare in general. Um, Things like this affect people who don't have healthcare in a way that they don't affect people who can afford treatment. And, um, you know, even just, even just the way that the vaccine had been talked about, which is again, (laughs) depending on your news Mm -hmm. source, you either think it's going to be in two months because that's what the president has said, (laughs) but his closest advisors are contradicting him on the Mm -hmm. floor of um, even just, you know, the meetings that they're having on, on TV Um, that a vaccine that, that that the president's uh, health, one of his health officials, when asked, you know, are, is the vaccine going to be available and affordable? And and they said, well, we can't really, we don't know yet. We we hope so. We hope it's affordable. <laughs> right. But even not being able to make that statement that yes, it will be affordable to everyone. I mean, this this and every public health crisis affects people differently, and a lot of times it affects people differently based on their privilege. Yeah, I
1: heard a clip of um uh, Vice President Pence's news conference where um where he assured people that. Um, the vaccine uh, is is so important that it will be covered by those who have private insurance and Medicaid and Medicare. Um, and there was right. really no response right. to a reporter's uh, question about, well, what about people who aren't insured? And that's that's the reality. This is a moment where like the the structure of our um, of our uh, insurance system, the, the structure of how people pro- are provided care here, comes into focus. It's a great tweet. Um, I, I wish I could uh, tell you who's the one who said it. Um, hopefully um you can search this out online if you just search some of this the, the, these words that he said that the the, the floor um it, like this is a test to, to the quality of of a healthcare system in a country it is not the one who has the best care it is the one who has the least care um because the it, it is not the the ceiling that we need to measure but it's the floor like who is it that that has the the least amount of service who is who is it that has the least mm. amount of care because when it comes to infectious disease they are going to be the ones who are affected most and because things are transmitted and, and things uh, we, we share, we share our viruses. Um, they're going to be the ones who, who uh, have the, the stand to, to, to infect more people because they're not being provided mm-hmm. the care. I have some colleagues in, in, in Europe, some friends I know in England who, um, I mean, of course the tests are free. I'm just going and get your right. test. Yep. Um, um. I mean, that's, you know we could start talking about socialized medicine which could then trigger the whole socialism discussion and and then everyone's on their sides Mm -hmm. again but just think about that Mm -hmm. for a second think about without any any of the consideration of what the politics are but think about making sure that every single person in a geographic area is tested so that um it's clear that that everyone's safe and if they're not then the necessary measures can be taken that's just not something we have here that's that's not the reality of it
0: what are you anticipating in the coming weeks and months? Can you anticipate anything? <laughs> um I'm anticipating that uh
1: that Easter's coming. Um like we are we are on the road yeah, we are on the road to Jerusalem. Yeah. <laughs> um I mean, on one hand, like because I'm a part of a of of a liturgical tradition that like lives through these seasons every week, you know, lives itself through the calendar. Um, I I am thinking about like what is it? What is Lent? What is the second Sunday of Lent going to mean? And then what is the third mm. Sunday of Lent going to mean? And yeah, we think ahead about um what what about Easter? A lot of churches think about Easter in terms of well, you know, we might have more people here than normal, um, so how right, are we gonna right, right. how are we gonna best represent ourselves? And and so mm. one consideration is well, we might have more people here than normal. How are we gonna make sure that everyone is is healthy and safe? Um, what are we gonna do? But I think. I think we can't lose sight of, at least in, in my context and from my perspective, it's important not to lose sight of um, what we're doing uh, as a faith community, like what we're doing to uh, to live into um, our call. I don't think that like proclaiming the gospel and um, and and proclaiming the need to, uh, for people to to be cared for and and have their health concerns addressed. I don't think those are mutually exclusive um so i Hmm. think this is a great opportunity what we're probably going to do in the future is is look for how um the the gospel is actually integrated and woven into all of these things like god doesn't just show Mm -hmm. up on sundays like the spirit is is ever present and so for me um finding how god is moving through this and calling us uh into a deeper love and deeper care for one another um like that's as real and present today as it's going to be next week and as it's going to be next week no matter how this unfolds that is uh, that is the reality we live in like that's that is the how i part of how i express my christian faith like we are always already being called into care for one another mm-hmm. and so um next week is no different than this um uh, we just have to be vigilant in 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 both proclaiming the gospel and also like caring for one another same thing same thing mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah well, Matthew David, thank you for coming and 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 sharing your perspective and what's going on in Oregon and and your role as a pastor and a priest and all of Oh, this. Thank you
1: so much, Nate. I really appreciate. It. This has been a, a great conversation. and And p- peace and blessings to your listeners. I hope you all, um, I hope you all are well.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Thanks Be to Pod. You know, as we said in this episode, uh, the coronavirus is developing. We don't know exactly the impact that it will have. On churches and on people in the United States, I think that there are some great places to educate yourself, those being the CDC and John Hopkins, like I said at the beginning. They're providing very reliable information. One of the things that Matthew and I talked about that we didn't, I didn't include all of this in today's episode, but Matthew is an Episcopalian. I'm a Congregationalist. And one of the things that Congregationalists don't really have is a hierarchical resource. We don't have bishops and we don't have denominations really that are providing us information. But the Episcopal Church is doing that. And so if you are a congregationalist pastor, if you're a pastor in a small church that doesn't have denominational resources, I'll encourage you to check out what the Episcopal Church is doing. They're putting out some pretty good guidelines right now, and I am including some stuff that Matthew has sent me in the show notes. Uh, So if you're looking for some resources about what you can do to prevent spread in your own congregations, and I would just definitely recommend checking it out. It's good stuff. Big thanks to Matthew David for joining us on today's episode. You can check out uh, more of his stuff at therevmdm.com. That's therevmdm.com. We'll put that link in our show notes. And we'll also put uh, Matthew David's socials in our website, if you want to keep up with him. He's currently tweeting, about this about the coronavirus and its impact on his own community and i'm sure he will be providing us further updates as things progress thanks be to pod is co-hosted by colby long and me nate dove this episode was produced by me nate dove and uh, with a little bit of help from emma dove my wife so thank you we'll be back in your feeds in two weeks